Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast in our journey through the Bible in 2023. We have finished the book of Genesis, we finished the book of Job, and now we come to the book of deliverance, the book of Exodus. Let's get started. Hey friends, again, welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying your study of the scriptures each day. I've heard from several of you that said uh, it's one of the best years you've had in the Bible, and I'm so thrilled about that. Not to be negative Nancy or Debbie Down or anything like that, but I want to tell you, I always try to be transparent. At the end of the book of Exodus, it's going to get more difficult. That's where a lot of people quit. But what I'm liking about how we're doing this chronologically is we've already finished Job, we've already finished Genesis. By the time we get to the end of Exodus, when it starts getting a little bit more difficult, you've already invested like two months into this. And so I'm really excited about our studies. And several of you have signed up now for the newsletter, had some more subscribers this week. And I've been writing a little bit about that on Mondays. And then we are talking on Thursdays. And I wanted to save the book of Exodus. I didn't talk much about it in the opening of or in the newsletter on Monday, because I wanted to talk about it today because it introduced this book a little bit. Exodus was written probably by Moses, as he wrote Genesis and the Pentateuch. Probably wrote it after the completion of the tabernacle, Exodus 35 through 40. That's when it starts getting difficult, I told you in the reading. That's probably when he wrote this. It's a book of redemption, or as I said in the beginning, a book of deliverance. It's a book where, where God is keeping his promise to Abraham. I think that's a healthy place to start and a good place for us to start. Because you remember God gave a promise to Abraham. What was that promise? You said it out loud, right? He promised him a nation, but he didn't have any children. And so it was a matter of faith. But later in, in, in when he was older, God did give him a son named Isaac. And then God gave the same promise to Isaac. He said, listen, you are going to have a nation come from your seed. And then Jacob came and Esau, and, and there was a wrestling match that we discussed and, and, a, and a fighting, and they got the blessing and that birthright in the wrong way, but he got it. And, and a promise was given by God to Jacob saying, I said this to your grandpa, Abraham, I gave this to Isaac, I'm giving to you, there will be a nation come from you. And, and Jacob, to, he tried to start that nation. He had, what, 12 sons and four different wives and concubines. I mean, but, and then things got crazy. But now we see, looking back, from like a 30,000 view, high view, we can see God moving. And God, you know, the brothers did wrong. They had free will. They chose. But God used this. And now Joseph is in Egypt, away from his dad. And we've discussed all of that. So I'm just giving a big overview look at this. But what is God doing? God is preparing a place for his people to prosper, to keep his promise. So Joseph's in Egypt, and then he meets up with his brothers, and that's a big scene that we've already discussed. And then Joseph, because now he's moved up to second in position, he's able to position, he's able to be in a good position to bring his dad and his brothers, and they give him a land called Goshen. Pharaoh gives Jacob, Israel, a land called Goshen. Now you ought to look up that land. If you go to just your, go on your Apple phone, hopefully, not Android. I'm sure you can on Android, but go to your Apple phone or go to your maps, whatever. I'm just kidding. 
and, and check out where Goshen is today. Now it does, it's not called Goshen. So you'd have to probably do some Google search, but it is a beautiful land of all the desert area. You've got the Nile river that comes up and then it just splinters off in all these areas. It was so, it looks like it would have the water that they needed to grow the crops, everything. It just looks like a beautiful land. God gave it to him. But then when we come, Joseph dies at the end of Genesis chapter 50. And when we come to Exodus chapter number one, Israel turns from another name for Jacob, the spiritual name for Jacob, to what I called in the newsletter, a budding nation. They're not yet a nation, but they are flourishing. They are growing and multiplying. And so what happens is, It says in verse 8 that there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. I don't think that that meant he had no clue of Joseph. That would be almost impossible given the history that they would have known. But he didn't care about Joseph. It was like years ago. And so now he's moved on. And what he sees is the land of Goshen, the people that make up that land, the children of Israel is what they were called at that time. We call them now Israel, the chosen, the God's chosen people. They were flourishing and he got nervous because he's like, their numbers are going to exceed ours. And if they chose, choose to take, to join our enemies, they could take us over. And he started as a strategic leader to get paranoid. Unlike whether it be his father or grandfather, I didn't research that, that actually showed love towards Joseph and Israel he is going to reject them. Matter of fact, he goes to the midwives, the Hebrew, that's another word for the Israelites, the Hebrew midwives, and he orders them to kill every male child that's born. To their credit and their faith and a whole nother lesson, they said no, they didn't do it. They didn't obey. But Pharaoh is trying to stop the multiplication of this people. And so when, when he couldn't kill them, He puts this bondage on them. And if I were to summarize, this is not necessarily original to me, but if you just do an overlook of this book of Exodus and you needed to summarize it, really eight words or eight phrases summarize it. You got bondage, Israel's bondage. Then you got Moses. Then they're going to talk about plagues. And then you've got the Passover. Then you have the Exodus. Then you have the commandments. Then you have idolatry. Then you have the tabernacle. That really makes up the book of Exodus. And when we start here, we start in bondage because they go from living in the land of Goshen, minding their own business, shepherding, farming, a beautiful land, a great story how God kept his promise to Abraham and he's giving them in their thirst, flourishing. All of a sudden now they are slaves. They are in bondage. And he is making them work hard. And there's supposed to, and then he's ordering the death of all of these male children. He said they need to be thrown into the river, the Nile River. And one of those ladies that gives birth to a boy named Moses. And as you read the story, I'm not trying to recap necessarily everything, but she tried to hide him for like three months and she couldn't, puts him in a basket and sets him down the Nile. And he comes to... God's guiding hand, he comes to Pharaoh's daughter. She takes him out of that basket and wants to keep him. 
And then Miriam happens to see this and she says, can I go get a Hebrew woman to nurse him? And then Moses's mother gets to nurse her own son. But Moses grew up then and the Bible kind of, as I said a few weeks ago, I mean, we just passed through years and now we go from Moses as a baby being uh, floating down a river and taken by Pharaoh's daughter and then able to be nursed by his mom and raised by his mom to all of a sudden now he's like an adult and he's older. He's like 40 years old. And he's been raised in the Egyptian culture and he's been raised in the Egyptian schools. He's had the best of everything, but he feels this burning for his people. And remember, he commits murder, kills one of them because of what he saw them do to an Israelite. But the Israelites then, when he tries to talk with them because they're fighting, they say some pretty harsh words to Moses and make Moses fear for his life. And then Pharaoh finds out that he murdered one of the Egyptians and he chased him. And Moses now flees for the next 40 years to the backside of the desert. Moses' life is pretty easy to characterize. It's 40 years. 40 in Egypt, 40 backside of the desert, 40 when he came back to deliver him. It's pretty easy to follow his life. But then in the, then there's the burning bush moment. And in that, there's some neat there's some neat lessons. I hope when you are reading this, you kind of see that Moses constantly had an excuse. Kind of sounds like me, come to think of it. Probably sounds like you. Saying, God, I can't do this. This task is too big. This is too overwhelming. How am I going to get through this? I don't have the abilities. There's no way I can do this. Moses is complaining, complaining. And he, and he frustrates God to the point where God says, okay, listen, you're using that you stutter or you can't speak as an excuse. I can help you through that, but you keep using it as an excuse. So we're going to get Aaron. And then he continues to use him, <laughs> which is the graciousness of our God. I would have just said, okay, listen, I am tired of listening to your whining. Let me go find somebody else. But God is gracious. And it leaves me with, with an encouraging thought not that I want to continue to do wrong or do wrong and God is just going to be gracious, but the moments when I feel like, ah, I just, um, God, you don't, I don't deserve any of this. That's true, I don't. But neither did Moses, neither did Abraham, neither did Isaac, neither did Jacob. But God chose to use them. And all of those men, to their credit, didn't stay in their sin. They would humble themselves before God. And so, Moses, after giving all of his excuses, he goes, he says, okay, and he's, and he's going to go back to deliver them. God says, it's not going to go well, though. Pharaoh is not going to accept this. And this is step two. We talked about really overview one of this book is bondage. And why did they're in bondage? Because they were growing, they were flourishing. And he was insecure about that. Pharaoh was. Subject two is Moses, and we saw the birth of Moses. We see the calling of Moses and the, the fleeing of Moses, the calling of Moses, all of this. But then subject three is the plagues. Because when Moses comes back and says to, to Pharaoh, which I wonder how he thought it would go, really. I mean, God kind of gave him some heads up, but he's like, hey, uh, just let us go. We're going to leave. Pharaoh's like, no, you're not going to leave. You're our slaves. And it didn't go well. And in all of this, he gave him a sign. And remember, he threw his rod down and turned into a serpent, which would have scared me to death. And then if, if God said, hey, go ahead and pick that up. I'm like, eh, is there another way we can do this, God? Can we just like touch it with a long stick and then it turned back? I mean, I don't want to touch the grab that snake. But 
He does, but then the sorcerers and the enchanters, the witchcraft people, the wise men's what's called, they do the same thing. I was trying to do some quick research on that. I don't want to get too sidetracked on that today, but you know, not all miracles that we see are done of God. There is a very powerful enemy named Satan who can do some wonders as well. We need to keep that in the back of our mind. I've seen some things recently this week that I don't want to get sidetracked on, but we need to remember that God does miracles. There's no doubt about that. But Satan can also do this. And so, anyways, they we had all the plagues that took place. We had the blood, the water turned to blood, the frogs. That would have been just miserable frogs everywhere. Imagine trying to go to sleep and having frogs everywhere climbing over you. Then they had the lice, then the flies, and then the livestock. There was a pestilence on their livestock. Then they had the boils. That would have been miserable. And then the hail coming down. It says it was mingled with fire. There was hailstones coming down. Some people just ignored it. I remember. I was thinking. I was. When I, remember when I was reading that chapter? Is like some of them just didn't believe. They didn't put their cattle up. They didn't make their servants go inside. They were all destroyed. Then you had the locusts. But then you had the darkness, and then came the big one: death of the firstborn. Now you read this, so you know I'm going fast over this. Maybe some of you aren't reading this, so you're just kind of following the narrative as I talk about it. But. All of these, Pharaoh was like, whoa, I don't want this to happen no more. Let him go. And then he'd stop, change his mind. Even a few times he said to Moses, hey, go on out there. And I want you to entreat for me. I want you to pray for me. Interesting. But it wasn't true humility. It wasn't repentance. He just didn't like his circumstances. He was saying, God, I don't, he was saying to Moses, I don't like the circumstances I'm in, so can you just pray that they're gone? And then once they're gone, he just went right back to who he was. There's a lot of that today. Do we really want to see God work because of the best and for his glory? Or we just want a better situation? There's a little application nugget there that struck me this morning when I was reading. But then he had the death of the firstborn. And... And then in that sets up the next key word and where I will finish today is Passover. If, if we're looking at eight key words through the book of Exodus, Israel's bondage, Moses, plagues, and then the Passover. The Passover was set up and, and it, was, it was something that was going to be continued on with Israel for many, many years to follow. This is like what we would today call like a holiday. It was a big day. It was a big moment for them. And that night of the Passover, there were sacrifices that were to be made. And they were to sacrifice a lamb, an innocent, an innocent a pure lamb, the firstborn. It couldn't be one with blemish. They were to take that blood and to put it on the top of the doorpost and the, and the side doorpost. And then when Jesus said, he says, the he, by the way, there's a, the people like to say, and I used to say too, you know, this is the death angel. Actually, there's no mention of the death angel. Jesus or God says, I'm going to pass over. He says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It's where we get our hymn that we sing. But can you imagine that scene as the lamb is killed, the blood is taken and put there, and the oldest, the firstborn's thinking, is it staying? Did it make sure we didn't wash off? Is everything going okay? But as long as the blood was applied, they were safe. 
Why do you think God did that? Don't you think that was a little foreshadowing of what was going to be taking place in the New Testament? When the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, would die, His blood would be shed for our sins. And when His blood is applied on our account, we don't have to fear death because we're accepted in the Beloved. Remember in Hebrews it says, Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. The blood of Jesus Christ had to have been shed for our sins. And this, just like when I talked about when that goat was killed to clothe Adam and Eve, that was a picture, that was a foreshadowing of Jesus. This here is a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do. We're going to see that all throughout the Bible. We're going to see that when we get to the tabernacle. But we see it all throughout the Old Testament, a foreshadowing of the fact that Jesus, the the Messiah, is going to come and he will apply the blood. He will be the final sacrifice, but this was a foreshadowing of what is to come. I think I'm going to end it there. We are in Exodus. We're getting deep into Exodus. We will get through this book. It will take us a little bit, but not too, it really, we're reading quite a bit. And Exodus is just, it's got some, it's got some ugly parts to it. I don't mean that in like an ugly arena. I mean sinful parts. When we get to the Ten Commandments and when Moses is up on the mountain and what's going on down below, you're going to run to pull your hair out. When you get to the Red Sea, you're going to be amazed. And then when you see how they responded immediately after the Red Sea, you're going to get so frustrated. But what I try to do as I'm reading through this, I think about my own life. How often do I see God do an amazing thing in my life and then immediately I get frustrated with God? Allow this truth, the truths that you're reading, to impact your heart. All right, we are in Exodus. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. As always, I'd love to hear, have your feedback. How? What are you learning? Some About 20 of us now. There's 20 of us now on the version, and we're all reading through this together. Some of you may be doing it on your own. Others have told me you're doing it on your own plan. That's wonderful. I'm glad to hear it. I'm praying. I'm praying for those 20 each each week. I'm praying for them. And I'm praying that this podcast would encourage you to study and to stay in and know God's word. So if you're listening, make sure you subscribe. Make sure that you give us a, a rating on there and subscribe to the newsletter as well. We'll see you back on Sunday with the third lesson on our difference makers, and then back on Monday with the newsletter. Have a great rest of the week.